Exodus chapter 20. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. My friends, we're looking this evening at this uh, 20th chapter that we've come to, and my uh, title is uh, Safeguarding uh, in the Ten Commandments. Safeguarding as found in the Ten Commandments. It was said by the Jews, apparently, that God didn't give the, the Ten Commandments in Palestine, which was the, would, the homeland of the Jews, but in the wilderness, in order to show that the moral law was not just for the Jews, but was for all people. And that's uh, true. And that's what we believe. The moral law, as expressed here in these uh, ten words of God, the Ten Commandments, uh, summarized here, expresses God's will for all mankind, whether we come from Iran or from India or from uh, South America or from Africa or from Britain, wherever we come from, the law of God applies to us all. This is God's will for mankind. It expresses the mind of our Creator for His created beings, for us. Verse 1, And God spake all these words. These are the words of God for us. These are the, the mind of God. And we have to say right at the beginning, God has a right to tell us what to do. And we have a responsibility to listen to what He says and to respond and to a right we have a responsibility to obey what God says. This is our duty, and we are to listen to Him. So this is a law that is still binding, as we've said recently on the Sunday message, binding on all. And it is God's unchanging moral standards for regulating a human behavior. To abrogate this law, to move away from this law, is to plunge society, such a society that moves away from it, is to plunge it really into anarchy and into real chaos. And that's what we see uh, happening, isn't it? You see in those societies which have discarded these, these Ten Commandments or have moved away from it, sadly, we are amongst that kind of a society, and we see what's happening. We see what's breaking down. Families are breaking down. Lives are breaking down. People cannot manage things because they're moved away. And that the, the social structure of our nation is well, it's cracking, isn't it? Because people have moved away from these safeguards. And that's what I want to really think about uh, these, these commandments. We love the Word of God. 
you love the commandments of God, and when we think of it and we walk in it, we are blessed by it. But there's this other aspect to the commandments. That there's great safety in walking in God's way. There's great safety from so many of the evils of the day uh, if, if we keep uh, very steadily to, uh, to these commandments. It's, it's wonderful if we uh, uh, follow these in our lives, not for salvation, not for to try and obtain a good relationship with God. We can only get that through Christ. But when we use it as a guide for our life, it leads to a stable life, a good family life, a good individual life, and even, as we've said, a good society. So these are the kind of things that we're thinking of. Now, in God's providence, we're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments again on this coming Lord's Day in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, so tonight I'm going to look at it really from the viewpoint uh, of uh, this protective element, this safeguarding element that is found in them thinking uh, along the lines especially of society. And on Sunday, God willing, we should look at it in a more spiritual kind of way and uh, see a little bit more of the attributes of God because every commandment has uh, is a reflection of God, of some of his person, and also we'll have a look at them as the, as the head, uh, the chief sins of a family of sins. We'll probably think more along those lines uh, on Sunday. But uh, just going back to last week, last week we saw the preparations that had to be made in chapter 19 uh, by the children of Israel. Before God spake to them, they had to have those two, uh, two three days of preparation, and when the Lord did come down on that Mount Sinai, remember how the whole mountain quaked, and then there was that fire and the smoke that covered the mountain. It was really a terrifying sight to all the children of Israel. And then the, there was that sound, like the the voice, the blast of a trumpet, a long, loud sound, and then uh, God spoke uh, to Moses, and then. Uh, he spoke, he was, remember how we said he was speaking uh, directly to Moses, but it was in the earshot of all the other people, all the other two million people who could hear the audible voice of God. And this is uh, what he spake, these Ten Commandments. So I'm going to just really focus on these Ten Commandments uh, uh, primarily uh, tonight. And my first, the first commandment here uh, we have in verses 2 and 3, uh, the protection of true theology. The protection of true theology. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And here's the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, friends, you know Egypt uh, was, it was not only a place where they were under slavery, but if that society was a polytheistic society. They, had, they believed in more than one God. They had many gods. They had a number of religions. They had their religious priests. They had their superstitions. They worshipped uh, things like the, the river Nile. They worshipped uh, animals. They worshipped uh, the, th the, the elements in the sky. They, even Pharaoh himself was considered a deity. And so with that kind of a background, the Lord says to them, thou shalt have 
no other gods before me. The land that they were going into, Canaan, was also a polytheistic uh, nations, And the, the peoples there also were idolatrous and worshipped many gods. And so again, thou shalt have no other gods before me. This is to be at the center of their thinking and of their, their practice. The words here, before me, uh, means besides me. You need to have no other gods besides me, no other gods in addition to me. That's the, that's the, the meaning here. No plural gods, just one god. In Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 19 and verse 9, the same word besides is used there. And there it was, it was talking about there in the land where they were to go, they, they were to set aside three cities, which were to be cities of refuge where the manslayer could run to. And uh, later the Lord said, if your land is enlarged, then thou shalt add th uh, three, cities, three cities more for thee besides these three. So that's the idea. You have three, you have three cities, you can add three more. And in the same way, uh, this word is used here in chapter uh, 20 and verse uh, 3. Thou shalt have no other gods besides me. In other words, God is saying to Israel, there are to be no rivals to me. I alone am your God. You are to worship me. There's to be no one who is to be uh, alongside me. No competitor uh, to me. Uh, there is no one... Uh, uh, who is to be worshipped alongs uh, uh, alongside me. I am not one of many gods. I am the only God. That's what he's saying. And uh, he alone is to receive all the admiration, all the worship, all the praise is due uh, only uh, to God. And the uh, Israelites are to be dependent upon him and him alone. And of course, this is the truth, isn't it? This is the truth, because all the other gods with little g's are just that. They are, they're not true gods. They're not the real god. They're not really competitors in, in a sense, because they're fake gods. They're made with man's hands or the, the things that are worshipped. They don't have that reasoning a power that God has. They cannot hear the prayers of the people. They cannot help they have no power to help. They're powerless compared to uh, the true God. There is only one true God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And there is no one uh, else. Now, in, in our society, uh, the interfaith movement, uh, the interreligious movement, well, they break this first commandment because they say, well, uh, let's all come together, and it doesn't matter what faith you are. You can be a Hindu, you can be a Muslim, you can be a Buddhist. Let's all, and Christian, we all come together. Uh, all, all roads lead uh, to the same God. But this is, that would be breaking uh, this commandment. Ecumenism also breaks this commandment. Ecumenism is all the Christian denominations uh, coming together. But we cannot mix with Roman Catholic, with Roman Catholicism. Because that's a different God. That's not really uh, the God of the Bible. Uh, so they would break it. They, they say, well, uh, we need to unite. We need to come together 
as one. But really, when you think of it, friends, if we hold to this, uh, this, te- this, that there is one God, if everyone held to this one, one teaching, that would unite us together. That's what united Israel and kept them together as a monotheistic society, their belief in one God, and it's the same for us if we also do the same. Well, uh, secondly, the second command is the protection of uh, true worship. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to serve them for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. God is jealous for his worship. God is not willing to share his worship with other people. We are to worship a him and him uh, alone. Now when it says here that, that we are forbidden from making a graven I- image uh, or any likeness to anything that's heaven above and so on, uh, the word a graven image there is talking about a carved image. We are not to make a carved image, a, an, an idol, a work of our own hands. And we are, neither are we to make any likeness of things in heaven above with a view to worshipping it. Of course, we can make things that represent maybe the sun or the moon uh, or animals, but we're not to make it with a view to falling down before it and declaring this is our God and worshipping it, which is what the Egyptians and other nations were doing. They were worshipping the sun. They were worshipping the moon. In Egypt, they worshipped the crocodile. And they, they worshipped... Uh, the, the birds that, that were in, uh, some of the birds that were in uh, the sky. They worshipped all these things. And uh, carved Im- a carved image such as these things, well, they're not really a true representation of the living God. How can they be? How can such a lim- limited thing represent the, the God of the Bible as we know him in all his attributes? He who is incomprehensible, he who is all-wise, he who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-glorious. How can a carved image represent him? It cannot. And it doesn't make sense to have an, an idol and to fall down before it and to worship it. And so they were forbidden uh, to make them uh, as objects of worship. One thinks of uh, Micah, uh, you may have come across Micah, uh, I think it was in, in Judges, but Micah, he made uh, his own uh, uh, carved image. And then the people of Dan, a group from Dan, the tribe of Dan, came uh, to his house and they ran off with his, with his uh, idols. They stole his idols. And he went chasing after them. And he said, oh, you have taken away my idols which I made. Well, what kind of a God is that? To be, to be uh, worshipping a God you have to chase after who is stolen and uh, who has no power to resist being, being taken away in that way. But it, it's, it's foolish, isn't it, uh, to make, to bow down, uh, and doesn't make sense to bow down to these carved images. But this, uh, this commandment also teaches us how we are to worship God. And that's so important. Because while we mustn't use these aids to worship God, 
the aid that we do have is the scriptures. Here is our aid uh, to true worship because it tells us how, about the Lord and it tells us what he's like. So when we come to worship, we're thinking about his attributes, we're thinking about his omnipotence, we're thinking about his grace, we're thinking about his holiness, we're thinking about well, what Christ has done, we're thinking about his death on the cross. These are the things that are, are revealed to us in scripture and that is where we draw our, th our thoughts. Worship is using our mind to think on those things and then expressing our love and our admiration uh, for him uh, in our words and uh, in the hymns that we sing and in our attitude uh, towards him. It's interesting uh, to note but when in the ancient times, when these uh, defeated nations, when the two wars, when there was a war and uh, the victorious party, uh, what they would uh, often do is get a hold of the defeated nation's idols and either smash them to pieces or maybe drag those idols through the streets because that would have an effect on the local people. There were in those idols, those those local people would uh, had their identity, and now their identity is being taken away uh, because they see their gods, uh, uh, as it were, smashed to smithereens uh, before them, and uh, they would be demoralized uh, in seeing those things. Assyria and Babylon tried to do that with Israel, you know, but uh, they couldn't. But they, they tried to destroy the Babylon, the, the Jewish religion, but they couldn't. Why? Because God is not made with carved images. Their God is invisible. They cannot get a hold of him in that kind of a way. And uh, so uh, they, were, they were not able uh, to demoralize them such. Such is our faith. We have faith in the, in the invisible God. Well, just before we move on, you may note at the end of that verse 5, it says about visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now some people do ask the question, well that doesn't seem fair. Why should God punish the children and the grandchildren of those who have committed the iniquity? The father's committed the, the sin. He's the one who should be punished. Why is, why is it saying that the punishment is going to fall upon the children and, and the grandchildren? Well, perhaps you could explain it uh, in this way. It's not really that the punishment falls on the children and grandchildren directly from God, but the consequences of the father's sins falls upon the children and grandchildren. So for, so for take for example, here is a father and he, he gets his monthly salary and he uses all his monthly salary for gambling and for drinking. Well, think of the effect of that is going to have upon the children. The children are going to suffer because of the father's sinful behavior. And uh, they're, going, in a sense, going to be punished because of their father's behavior. And until they come of age, then only they can make a, a, a living for themselves. And it's in, in that kind of a way. Uh, 
even a, a person, a father who is an idolater and who bows down to carved images, well, what are they going to pass on to their children and grandchildren? The same religion, isn't it? They're going to pass on idolatry, as we see even in societies today, especially if you go to the Far East, the family, uh, the, the family god, as it were, is passed on from one generation to another. And that's, uh, that's uh, uh, a consequence of the father's uh, sin. So in that way, uh, we would look at it rather than God directly, because every man is responsible uh, for their own sin, and God will punish each one according to their own sins. I hope that's a little bit uh, helpful to you. But then uh, thirdly, the protection of God's uh, name. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Well, we, all, we all know, and it goes without saying, uh, the name of God is really not to be used in a light and flippant and a trifling way as it is today. It's a very great name. It's an awful name, a terrible name the name of God, we could say. It's a majestic name. It's not to be mishandled and misused. It's a name that is above every other name. And behind the name is the person. The name represents the person. And in this case, the name represents the triune God. And so we mention his name whenever we mention it. We want to mention it in, with reverence, and with great respect, when we pray, we want to have a sense, as much as we can, of that uh, respect which is due unto him. Now, in this, this verse includes uh, what was called a, a swearing or, or, or making a vow. Whenever a person wanted to confirm that what they were saying is the truth, or when they made a vow, often they would refer uh, to God's name. Uh, to say, what I'm saying to you is the truth. Uh, well, this, this command forbids them using the Lord's name to confirm a lie, to, to confirm a falsehood. Uh, they were not uh, to do that. But of course, it's not just swearing and taking a vow that this, uh, this command forbids, but it also uh, talks, uh, forbids us from using uh, the name of God in that a flippant way, as we have said, in a profane way, as we hear so often today. Everywhere, isn't it? We're hearing these things, especially, sadly, if you have to work in a building site or you have to, uh, you have to work in some particular environments, it's even more so. But you turn on the TV or the radio and you're also hearing uh, these things. Always... Uh, often, as an, even as an exclamation of surprise or of shock, we hear people uh, taking the name of the Lord in vain. And the name of our Savior, especially. And it's getting worse and worse. Sometimes I've heard things that are unbelievable, the things that you, um, you, you hear. And it's uh, spe specifically directed against Christ. And you wonder, you wonder how, how people can go down uh, such route. It's deliberate in some cases. But it's devilish, friends. It's devilish. We don't hear the names of other religious leaders taken in name in vain. This is devilish. There's something behind it, and it's it's an it's, it's the evil one. But uh, for us, 
uh, let us uh, be careful not to lift up this name in vain when we worship the Lord, when we're singing, when we're praying. Let us uh, always have him uh, sincerely and truly in our minds. Uh, the fourth one, we're so familiar with this, uh, we mentioned often the protection of the day of, of worship. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. All are to rest, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Four verses are given to this one command. More is said about this one command than all the other nine commands. And uh, so it must be, isn't it, friends? It must be an important uh, command. Sadly, uh, the Lord's day today has not been protected and has not been safeguarded, but has been let go of. We see shops that once were closed on Sundays, perhaps you're unfamiliar with this, but if you were here in this country, even maybe, what's it, uh, 40 years ago, 35, 40 years ago, Sundays were very quiet. There were hardly uh, just a few corner shops which were open. It was quite hard to buy things if you wanted to buy things. Uh, but uh, uh, nowadays, all, so many shops are open. Sports, which once were uh, restricted to Monday uh, to Saturday, well, now, now they take place on a Sunday. The best games are reserved for Sundays, uh, to, as if it's uh, even uh, you know, to, to really rub it in. Uh, TVs, which once were never switched on on a Sunday, are now on uh, as well. Lord's Day for many has become the Lord's half a day or the Lord's hour even. Oh, friends, uh, these are again attacks against the Lord's Day are from, the, from hell again. We have to say that because anything that God does is attacked by the evil one. And this is a special day. It's something that he has put in place and uh, so uh, he's out to spoil it as much as he can. Best way to protect it how can we do it, friends? To keep it, to love it, to find a, a delight. Perhaps, uh, perhaps you, you find it hard to keep the whole Lord's Day. Well, I did as well. I did when I first started uh, to, to, uh, to, to do it. I was not used to doing it. I was used to having Sunday morning and then Sunday afternoon watching the sports and the TV. I used to do that. I, the whole day to me was somewhat onerous. It sounded onerous and difficult. But when you do it, friends, when you start to do it, you begin to realize, I wish I'd been doing this earlier. I wish I kept the whole day uh, for the Lord. I wish I'd attended both services uh, a lot earlier than I do. You can get used to it, and you'll find it a delight uh, to do it uh, as well uh, once you start. Well, friends, the fifth commandment, let's move quickly is uh, in here in verse 12, and it's the protection of society. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which thy, the Lord thy God giveth thee. This command uh, is the key to social 
stability, the key to social stability. In every society, you have people who hold different positions. You have some who are in authority and power, and others who have to listen to them, have to submit to those people. That's the way a good, ordered society uh, runs. You have a government, and you have citizens. You have policemen, and you have the people. You have uh, teachers and pupils, pastor and church members, parents and children. And uh, those who are in positions of authority, well, we know that they are to be respected and they are to be submitted to insofar as they uh, uphold uh, their respective positions well. The word here, honor, honor thy father and thy mother, is, means to weigh heavily, to weigh heavily, to respect, uh, to submit to, to obey uh, those who are in authority. And it all begins in the home. It all begins with children obeying and honoring their father and their mother. A child who learns submission at home, well, they'll be respectful in the classroom when they go to school. They'll be respectful to the teachers and when they grow into society, they will more, more, more than likely be law-abiding citizens. They go to church, they'll be good, uh, they will be good church members in the church because they've learned uh, from very young uh, to, to, to listen uh, to those who are in authority. So there's a protection uh, in this, uh, in this uh, command for the society. And then in verse uh, uh, 13, we have the protection of life, of course. Thou shalt not kill. So simple. It doesn't mean not kill anything or anyone, but it means thou shalt not murder in the Hebrew. Uh, you're not to, uh, to slay uh, somebody. Life is sacred. Life is precious to us. Life is also precious to God. Human life is precious to God because we are all made in the image of God. And that's why each person is so valuable still, even though that image is so defaced in us, yet still well, each one is, each human being is made in that image. That's why we are so different from the animals. And as much as lies in us, uh, we are to protect the life of our neighbor. Do what we can even to enhance his happiness. In that way as well, not only not to do something to him, not to kill him, not to murder him, of course, that would be obvious, but also the opposite, to do something to be a good neighbor, to enhance uh, his, his, his peace, his ease, uh, his happiness even, and especially to think about his spiritual uh, preservation. And uh, we want uh, to be uh, like, my, like this. Now, a question uh, here is about capital punishment. Is capital punishment something that is biblical or not? Should we as a nation, we did have capital punishment here before, uh, should, we, uh, should we have it again? Well, what, what is right? Is it, is it of God or, or not? Or does, it, does that come under this command, thou shalt not kill? Well, the answer, friends, really, is in Genesis 9 and verse 6. And we looked at that 
in our studies in Genesis, where it says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man's blood shall, uh, by man, sorry, shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. It's very clear there that if a person takes another person's life, deliberately murders him, not talking about manslaughter, but deliberate murder, then that person should be publicly, as it were, as it were go, uh, publicly executed. Capital uh, punishment is biblical. Be why? To act as a deterrent? Well, it has that uh, effect. In fact, I was just reading today in Singapore, uh, they're talking about this very issue, and the, 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 uh, the minister was saying that capital punishment for drug trafficking is essential uh, to saving more lives. By the taking of one life, many more lives will be saved because less drugs are going to come into the country. But that's a, a deterrent is, is one thing, but that's not the main reason, that's not the primary reason why capital punishment should be enforced. But it's because of this, the person has gone so far in uh, destroying a, a, a man, a woman, a boy, a girl who is made in the image of God. And that's the, the more that's the, the part that is uh, so terrible. That's why they have to lose their own life uh, in return. Uh, let's move on uh, to verse uh, 14 and the seventh commandment, the protection of marriage. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Another institute of God, institution of God that is under violent attack. Marriage, as we know, is being redefined, is being perverted in the day that we live. Marriage is being set to one side by many. When people live, choose to live together and say, oh, it's just a piece of paper, we don't need uh, to actually uh, officially get married. Marriage is being violated and openly violated in the society that we are living in. And even being adultery is being encouraged uh, on, on many hands. Even websites now which promote adultery and promote uh, a promiscuity are, are, are online. And even we, uh, we've read and of uh, spouses who are agreeing, a husband and a wife agreeing to have uh, extramarital affairs in order to keep their marriage happy and to have a better relationship. What nonsense is that? I mean, literally, it's just nonsense to, to go out with other people to keep your own marriage in a happy state. Never heard of anything like this. But this is uh, what's, being, uh, what's happening. The sacred <coughs> institution of marriage, this God-given gift to our society, is one man, friends, and one woman. Till death do us part. But it's being violated uh, big time uh, here. It's a recipe as we are seeing for social disaster, for family breakup, for instability in the home, uh, for broken homes. This is what we are seeing, sadly. The Eighth Commandment is the protection of uh, property. Thou shalt not steal. It's an, now, it's an important principle in a stable society uh, that the right of ownership, people have a right of ownership of private property. Every personal person should have that right, and that right should be respected and not violated. Where it is violated, 
Well, it leads only to anarchy and uh, murder. But it's very obvious that thou shalt not steal, and it has many applications. Again, an interesting point here is that the other nations uh, at that time, they didn't have such a prohibition. We're so familiar with it, we're so used to it, but this was something relatively new, thou shalt not steal. To the other nations, it was okay to, to steal. The, in Sparta, apparently, getting caught not stealing was reprehensible. <laughs> you, know, you were frowned on if you were caught, but if you got away with it, well, you're a hero. <laughs> you know, that was good. Uh, but uh, the, the idols even, and the deities of the day, well, they reflected this moral and sinful weaknesses uh, and the sins of man. Murder, adultery, stealing. These were common things among the Canaanite gods and the people who would be like them. Uh, so if we worship a false god, well, that's, you will become like them uh, also is implied uh, in these commandments. So that's why they're told to worship God who's far uh, from these uh, lying and uh, stealing and uh, disloyal ways. Uh, let's move on to the ninth, the protection of truth. And again, uh, verse 16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Uh, speak the truth, uh, whether you're in public, in courts, or in social media. Don't bear false witness. Or in private, uh, no backbiting, or slandering somebody's reputation, or telling outright lies, or discrediting people. Oh, excuse me, all these things are uh, forbidden uh, and more in this commandment. Thankfully, in our day, we still have the law of perjury, which gives some measure of uh, protection uh, for the truth. And then finally, the last commandment uh, is the protection of the heart. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And this commandment, friends, it shows how unique uh, the Bible, biblical law is. That it not, here are laws not only which condemn acts, but also specific thoughts and aspirations which are in the heart. God looks on our hearts. God looks at our hearts to see what's happening there. And he forbids even thoughts and inclinations which are sinful and aspirations which are so. Contentment in the heart. This will keep a person from breaking uh, so many of the other commandments. You think of Ahab, uh, Ahab, King Ahab uh, in the Old Testament and how he coveted uh, Naboth's vineyard. He wanted that vineyard and Naboth wouldn't give it to him. So Ahab ended up murdering him and then stealing uh, his uh, vineyard. He broke these other commandments. David coveted Bathsheba, somebody else's wife. And he ended up as well being an adulterer, taking her. And he ended up also being a murderer, uh, killing uh, his uh, Bathsheba's uh, husband. Well, friends, if we are content in our hearts, it will keep us also from so many uh, sins. Well, I'll close. Uh, verse 18, when the people 
uh, saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. When the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said, you speak with us, Moses, but don't let God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses, verse 20, said to the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Well, friends, these are tremendous commands, and uh, they uh, are a foundation uh, for a stable life and a stable uh, family, a stable society. Uh, the more we depart from them, well, the more disor disorder, uh, dishonesty, and danger uh, there is in every everyday life. Sadly, we have to uh, say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 136, rivers of waters run down my eyes because they keep not thy law. Well, may the Lord help us uh, to just see the benefit and the blessing of these commandments, how great they are, how wonderful they are, and how helpful they are. Amen.